to the Jester's Court, defenders of the unfairly downtrodden. I am your host, Mike. Here with me, as always, is our co-host, Jen, or Mom Thulu. How are you? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> How are you doing? Good week? I think I fixed it. Mom Thulu, say something. Bitch. So anyway, again. Did they hear course, that? Did they hear it? You show up on my thing now, so I think we're oh, good. okay. So anyway, so now that people could hear your answer, Mom Thulu, how was your week? Is I. Right. Is I right? Yeah, we, we mm -hmm. both agree. It's been just it's just a week. Nothing died. A week. Nothing blew up. And Rampage confirms that the audio is fixed. We can hear Mom Thulu. Woo! <laughs> so before we get too far into everything, Mom Thulu, you want to go ahead and let's shout out our patrons. Yeah. So our patrons are Kyle Keir. Firebrant, Derek Diamond, Robert Hood, that's Rob Mayon, and Travis T, that's Old Man RPG. He actually switched back to Soda Bread. Oh, Soda Bread! But he I is... liked it when he was Terror Squirrel. Sorry. Yeah, he's he's that. a man of many names. Yeah. You too can be a patron. Just head over to patreon.com slash the Jester Score. Tiers start as low as three bucks a month and you get cool stuff like early access to episodes, monthly commentary tracks, and Saturday morning cartoons. And you were going to read that and I just stole it from you. You did. <laughs> I know. Mom Thu has my outline and she, she has taken it upon herself <laughs> to take more lines, which I'm fine with. <laughs> Instead of just shitty commentary in the background. I mean, that's pretty much your, what you're here for. So. <laughs> I'm here for just shitty commentary. Yeah. Make fun of me basically whenever you can. Right. So we do have bad news, guys. Um, we will not be talking about Ghostbusters 2016. As you can see, um, Wally Phelps is not with us tonight. We will eventually, I promise. He is just a very busy guy, and it's hard to get a hold of him. So instead, guess what we're talking about tonight? What well, are we talking about? If you're watching the YouTube or the live, you can see because it's on the screen. Right. But we are talking about Sam Raimi's Dark Man. The film that answers the question, what if Batman were poor and hideously, hideously disfigured? <laughs> Released in 1990, stars Liam Neeson, Francis McDermott, and Larry Drake. Um, the film made $48 million off of a $14 million budget. And it currently has an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of about 59%. And it's one yeah. of my, like, not childhood. Well, yeah, childhood. It came out when we were 10. So one of my childhood favorites. I was nine. 19? You were 19 and... Shut up. Are you ready to get into it then? Of fucking course I am. <laughs> Alright. So we're going to do the rundown. Movie opens with what I'm calling a meeting of the gangs. It's like comical how many people are at this, this meeting. Um, you have Eddie Black on one side. Um... He does not want to sell to the other gang, lined by Durante. I've already misreading my stuff. So you have Eddie Black and Mr. Durante. Durante is the main villain of the story. Eddie Black does not want to sell his property on the docks. Durante kind of says, no, we're going to do it anyway. And they fight. Durante wins, um, cuts off all of Black's fingers, and we go to the opening credits. Um, the credits transition to a lab where you see Liam Mason playing Peyton, and he's working on a this fake skin stuff. It's like masks and, and hand replacements and things. It's supposed to be like help people who are disfigured. 
Uh, but there's a problem. His fake skin breaks down after 99 minutes. Um, yeah. It cuts to night, and he's with his girl Julie, played by Frances McDermott. And then in the morning, you hear she has come across a memo she shouldn't have seen about payoffs. She's a lawyer. She found a memo she wasn't supposed to see. Um, she leaves to go take care of that, but she forgets the memo in the lab slash his apartment, which is probably going to be a problem later. Right. As they're walking out of the apartment, Peyton proposes, and Julia says she has to think. So immediately you're like, oh, I'll bleed for him. We're now in her boss's office, who freely admits to the bribes, uh, reveals his master plan, and says, you know, whatever it takes to get there is is what we'll do, because this beautiful real estate development is is worth it. He offers to take the memo off her hands, all shady-like, like, you know, you go to the bathroom, and whatever happens to the memo when you're gone, that's not on you. But she reveals she doesn't have it with her. He does name drop Durante, our villain for the beginning, our gang leader, as a competitor, and kind of uses his name to threaten her, like, you know, don't want to get messed with him. Uh, it cuts back to the lab as they're running another test on the fake skin. The power cuts out, and strangely enough, the skin does not break down like it has been at 98 minutes. They realize it's the dark um, that kept it from breaking down. It, it relaxed in the light. But it's a short-lived victory. Durante and his gang are there, and they attack. They ask him about the memo, but of course he has no idea what they're talking about or where it is. They shoot the lab assistant, they find the memo, and being done with their work, they try and dispatch Peyton, um, during which he gets burned, ground in chemicals, and blown up with a perpetual motion thing. Those little, I don't remember, do you remember those things, the little ducks that go up and down? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I do have a... Like the thermal bobbing ducks? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I do have a, a complaint here that that is not how those things work. Not at all. They do not slowly get further and further down mm -mm. until they hit the lighter. But whatever. Um, it pans out that Julie, who comes home just in time to see the lab explode, and I didn't put this in the synopsis, but Mom Tulu and I both laughed out loud with the image of <laughs> Liam Neeson flying out of the explosion. Just launching into the air. It was, it was such a great effect. Um, we're going to point out several times this is before CGI, and the green work, green screen work here is just beautiful. Sometimes it's beautiful. Speaking of which, uh, green screen effects, we see Julie standing outside the explosion, and that transitions into an empty funeral, um, which was actually kind of cool, kind of lame at the same time. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, they found it. You hear from the the guys in the. On the side, they assume Peyton's dead. They found an ear, a single ear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but obviously, he's not dead. He was found mm -hmm. and assumed to be homeless. He's being treated in the hospital. Uh, the doctor explains they had to cut off his pain receptors, mm -hmm. which is not a thing we do. <laughs> no. But they mentioned as a side effect that he's going to have mood swings and increased strength. Mm -hmm. And the reason for those side effects is that the brain is starved for signals once the pain receptors are turned down and they start eating away at emotion. Whatever. <laughs> you know, I, I I have recently said on Insmith Rag that I am not a doctor when we were talking about diabetes. Right. But, um, or maybe that was this show. I have recently said I am not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure everything in that explanation is not a thing. Um, he wakes up during this conversation and we see his first enraged, like, Hulk moment where he 
gets just super pissed and breaks out of the restraints. Um, we see him later in a storm, um, grabbing clothes from a dumpster. And I put a note here, no way he doesn't get an infection from all this, because he's in the right? alley, he's just... digging through the trash, there's gutter <laughs> water flying in his face, and his his face is one big open wound. He's got, like, he, like, grabs a coat out of, he, like, grabs the dumpster coat out, and he's like, let me put this on, you know, like, what the hell? Um, he does see Julie, so apparently he's, like, slinking outside her apartment, mm-hmm. but he can't speak yet, I guess, from the accident the burns. So she just sees this burnt, bandaged monster-like looking thing, and and she, of course, screams and runs. Right. Um. In the morning, we find him in his former lab. He takes what he can from there and finds a nice abandoned building to set up in. Um. It seems, fortunately, the owners of the abandoned building still pay the power bill because all the electricity works. Mm-hmm. That's you know, that's movie logic for you. Total movie logic. Huh. With his lab set up, he immediately gets start working on making a mask of his old face. The computer says it'll take 24 days to process the photo because there was the photo was like only part of his face and the, he had to like fix it. And apparently yeah. it's going to take the 20, the computer 24 days to process. Yeah, but it didn't say 24 days. It made it so much more dramatic than that. I, it said like 571 hours or something. I, 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 yeah, I did the math. It was 571 hours. We've got some time on our hands, in other words. Right. And enter our montage of science stuff. It's just, it is literally just what I said. It is just a montage of him working in the lab, montage of him looking at, at skins that worked or didn't work and trying to get them to last longer. It's a montage. Um, so now it goes, we get to catch up on Julie. We see her um, and a skeezy boss at a gala. He asks her what she wants to do about the memo. Apparently three months, you know, almost a month later, we're still talking about it. Mm-hmm. She said, since it was destroyed, the fire, there's nothing she can do. So, you know, I guess we're good because I can't turn you in. Right. We have Dark Man, as we're calling him now. You can see him watching this party and Julie. But he sees Durante and one of his goons at the party and gets a little distracted. He does that rage thing again. Mm-hmm. Um, kidnaps the goon, Rick, who's played by um, Raimi's brother. Questions him and eventually kills him by holding him up in traffic through a manhole. Which was a great effect. That um, was a good effect. We we use the, the term effect lightly. It was clearly a mannequin. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they would flash his face in there, mm-hmm. but other times it was just a mannequin. Anyway, he held him up over outside of a manhole and let him get crushed in traffic. It was... With the information he got from Rick, um, from his interrogation, he's now watching a cash handoff from one of the other goons, Polly. He creates a mask of Polly and goes to his house or Polly's house, leaves evidence that he's skipping town, rugs him, puts on his clothes, and takes his place at the next cash drop. Um, takes the money there, goes back to Polly's. Or we go, I'm sorry, he takes the money and we cut back to Polly's where Durante has shown up because he missed his drop. Or he missed the drop, but the drop was picked up and the money didn't get where it was supposed to go. Mm-hmm. So they show back up. They show up at Polly's and, of course, because they he, Dark Man set up the room to look like that. He's got, like, plane tickets out of town, a, a, a suitcase packed. He's wearing mm-hmm. a suit. So, yeah, he looks guilty. And Durante throws him out a window. For those of you keeping tabs, that's two of the guys 
taken right. care of. Back at our lab slash hideout, um, we see yet another failed test. He's still trying to get the skin to last longer than 98 minutes, and it won't. Mm -hmm. We have a little Liam Neeson breakdown at this moment where he starts singing about $5 to see the freak. Huh. Mm -hmm. And he rages out and some, you know destroys some stuff. Shortly after the rage out, the computer announces that his face is ready. So our montage apparently has lasted that whole that whole month. Right. So it cuts to the cemetery. You see Julie standing presumably over his grave. And she looks up and sees Peyton slash Darkman just standing there looking fine. He gives a partial explanation. He says he needs time, but he wants it all back. He wants to get it back together with her. He wants everything the way it was. Um, but he does not give her the full story and does not tell her that he's wearing a fake face. It cuts to Durante discussing the financial troubles on the phone since he's missing the money from that drop. And, oh, he plans to get some from, what was it, Fat? I wish I'd wrote the guy's name out. It's a gangster in Chinatown. It was like Fat Soon or something. It was very mm -hmm. stereotypical for the 90s Asian man. You do pan out and see Dark Man's listening to the call. So he arranges for Durante to be arrested and takes his place heading out to Chinatown. Mm -hmm. He looks at, I love this because apparently he didn't plan on this very well because he looks at the timer as he's walking into the restaurant where they're meeting this guy. Mm -hmm. and he's already at 90 minutes. So most of the time he has with his face is already used up before he even gets it. Right. It cuts back to Durante who is being bailed out um, and is pretty pissed. Durante arrives at the restaurant just in time to see Darkman as Durante leaving with the money. So they actually pass each other in the, in the door and they look <laughs> up and do have that moment where they see each other. They do a great same actor fighting, same actor fight. Mm -hmm. um, and Darkman that doesn't win, but he makes a way with the money. Right. We go back now to the Dark Darkman's in the Peyton mask again with Julie at a fair. Oh my God, I love this part. Who rages out on a carny over a pink Dude, elephant. This is the, the best the best line in the whole movie is give me the fucking pink elephant. <laughs> <laughs> and when he tries to give it to her, and of course she's like, oh, He's like, it. no. Just, right. That poor man, you just like yelled at him. <laughs> I, I love his little rage moments. They make the movie. Right. Um, he realizes that he kind of freaked out, uh, runs off. Julie runs behind him. She follows him back to what can only be called his lair. And the cat's kind of out of the bag. She doesn't see him, but she knows that he's not telling the truth. He knows something's up, but he's not going to the special hospital, like he said. But she doesn't see him because he's hiding. So Julie heads to her boss to tell her she's cutting off with him. Like, hey, Peyton's back. Uh, we kind of have to stop doing the things we're doing. Um, he leaves to take a call, and she sees, conveniently, the missing memo from a month ago just sitting on top of his desk. <laughs> Which, why... You went to the trouble to kill the guy to steal the thing, right? Yeah. Why would you leave it on top of your desk for a month? Why? Yeah, why would you? Like, it makes no sense that that memo would just be chilling on the desk. But it's there, and she realizes that, uh-oh, he's responsible for this whole thing. He is absolutely unconcerned when she reveals, you know, that I see the memo here. Tells her that he has the piece police paid off. He reveals a construction project, which is, you know, well on its way, and lets her leave. But immediately after she goes, he calls Durante in, who, you know, turns out he's working for him. Tells him that Peyton's still alive and that Julie knows that they're working together. 
So he let her leave so Durante could take care of things, basically. Um, Durante follows Julie back to Darkman's lair, because she apparently goes straight back there. Grabs her while the goons try and kill Darkman again. There's a fight. Um, I, my notes here to say very 90s, because they're doing a rooftop chase with a chopper. There, Durante is shooting him with, like, it looks like grenade. It was a grenade launcher? It looks like a grenade launcher. Right, it does. Very, like I said, very action movie nineties. Um, right. Darkman manages to make it back to the lab in the course of this chase, where he takes out more of the Durante guys. We're down to only a couple of them now. Um, Durante in the chopper lands back at the layer on top of the lab, um, and just as he lands, Darkman grabs a hold. They see him freak out. They're like, oh my god, take off. And so they take off with Darkman hanging from like a cable on the side of the chopper. Which again is kind of a stereotypical. In the background, uh, we see the lair explode with the last of Durante's man inside. He set up the same stupid perpetual motion bird to set off, uh, to, to light a lighter to, to blow up. He, he did the whole thing again. It pans back to the chopper. He's hanging from the chopper as they fly around through town. They're trying to get rid of them. Like I said, shooting him with shooting at him with a grenade launcher. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, they fly low enough that Darkman hooks the cable he's hanging from to a truck, which takes out the chopper. It cuts to a construction site, and we see Julie, the boss, and we see Durante, and we're not sure. Well, we are sure because we've seen it, but you're not sure at that point, at least not right away, is that Durante or is that Darkman? Um, it, it gets pretty obvious pretty quickly that it's dark man. They go up to the top of the building being constructed and they're walking around on the girders. Mm-hmm. Um, bad guy figures out that, hey, you're not Durante. They fight. Dark man wing. Dark man wings. Dark man wins by dropping him off the side of the building. It was kind of a funny because he's holding him by his ankle and he's like, you would never drop me. You, you're, not, you're not capable of that. And he drops him. <laughs> Julie finally sees up close what he looks like, and she's kind of shitty about it, isn't she? She really is. It's, she's not. I mean, she didn't just say go away, but she's like, you have the masks. Like, you could always just wear the mask and we're fine. So, no, I don't want to see your hideous, disfigured face. But if It you was make so shitty, pretty, and I was like, my God. <laughs> it's just awful. Just yeah. awful. Like, really you're shitty. a bitch, Julie. <laughs> He really is. <laughs> so he's, of course, like, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, Darkman leaves into the night. We get a cool little, you know, speech because they did do sequels, just not with. And we have credits. And it's over. It's over. So that is our movie in a nutshell. You want to know what some of the complaints are? What's the complaints? So number one on the list is bad special effects, even for the time period. And it's specified even for the time period. So the effects do have that Sam Raimi charm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are cheesy. Like they are very cheesy. But what do you expect coming from, again, Sam Raimi? It's 100%. Right. It was... It's 100% on brand. And I think they were done very well, at least for the era. Um, the only it, truly, oh, I'm go sorry, ahead. I, was str- no, go ahead. I was stretching. So, you know, um, I, I think my favorite part and the, the, like the, my favorite tell that it was Sam Raimi is like the, the mask, right? The, the mask that they put Liam Neeson in, <laughs> it looked like bad ash from, uh, evil dead <laughs> or, uh, you know, army of darkness. 
It looked like bad. Did it not look like bad? Oh no, there were some. There were some effects, and there were some effects that were like straight up out of Evil Dead. Like when you see his actual burnt hands moving, that was clearly. I mean, it's one hundred percent Raimi. And honestly, the only truly bad effect that I can think of is whenever he went raged out. They did these like they went to like a comic book spread almost. Yeah, I did. Of like cards when he got mad, and it was just terrible. There are a few scenes that have some bad green screen work. Um, there's one in particular where he's jumping from above on someone that just looks really bad. But all in all, I think the effects work with the style. And I think it's important to point out here that this is before CGI. So when you watch, you have to keep in mind that all these are practical effects. Right. That nothing is done with a computer in this. No, it's not. No, because it, I think it was too early for that kind of stuff. I mean, except so Jurassic Park is yeah. in production, but CGI is not a thing. Yeah. So for practical effects, and again, when you give credit for this is Sam Raimi, what the fuck do you expect? Right. I mean, <laughs> his movie, I mean, except for like his newer movies, you know, like they all have like certain tells. Um, so, and I guess even his new movies, because we went and saw, you know, Multiverse of Madness and. It's still, still very had, clearly Raimi. Right. Yeah. You can still tell. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we both, I think we both agree. This is kind of a lame complaint. Right. It is a uh, lame complaint. What's the next one? Uh, the next one on the list is bad writing and dialogue. What are you talking about bad writing? I, I'm going to give it a partial. I'm going to partially agree. Because I wouldn't say the dialogue is bad per se, but it's very, very cheesy. Especially Durante's lines. Um, But again, I have to claim, look at the source. This is Sam Raimi. It's not the first time we've said this tonight. It probably won't be the last, but what do you expect from... This movie was written, was rewritten like six times, but the original story was by Sam Raimi. So, again, can we claim on brand? Yeah, I think so. It's no more cheesy or weird dialogue than you see in Evil Dead. So, again, you should know what you're getting when you go in there. All right, so our last complaint, casting. On this one, I kind of have to give it to him. Um, I love Liam Neeson. He's amazing. I feel like he was completely wrong for this role. And Frances McDermott just looked like she was completely out of place and a little confused, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I Why also did they heard... choose her, though? Like It was a studio decision. Okay. 100%. Matter of fact, when we get to fun facts, you're going to see some of the other people they threw his way. Right. It's I bad. She's just so horsey, it's you know? Bad. Like I also heard when I was looking at the fun facts that she was kind of a pain on set. Yeah, that's what she told me. Like, she's she was a total asshole. And guys, for those of you in the audience, to be fair, Raimi wanted Bruce Campbell in the role, but the studio made him go elsewhere. How cool would it have been if they had cast Bruce Campbell as Darkman and just leaned all the way into the cheap rather than try to straddle that line between serious and cheesy and funny? I'm telling you, it would be freaking gold. Like, Bruce Campbell in that role would have been amazing. Right. No, he would have been great. It's, it's sad that they did not trust him to do it. Studios ruin everything. I know. I don't remember if this one made the fun facts, but he was like, Raimi flat out admitted like the studio, the studio experience was not as fulfilling as making his own. But yeah, so back and forth with the complaints, I think for the most part, they were valid, or at least to some extent they were valid. But like we like to say about everything, nothing's perfect. Everything is flawed. So the question you have to ask is, are the flaws so big that you can't enjoy the film as a whole? 
No. Before I could even get the sentence out of my <laughs> mouth, we know what Mom Thulu thinks. But yes, for me, the answer is no as well. I think it's great. And I don't mean like Oscar would be great. I mean like low budget, cheesy practical effects are still cheaper than CGI. Sam Raimi, great. Like, it is a Sam Raimi film. It is done like it. It's beautiful. Sorry. It's a great Sam Raimi film. And it shame on all of us for making him back away from this because he, he like downplays his involvement. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, there were some of the, mo- the parts of the movie that were absolutely ridiculous. And I was just, I mean, I, I remember dozing off at one point. I only dozed off for like 30 seconds because I was really tired this morning. But like I dozed off and I, w- I came right back and it was right at the, the time that the, the, um, the lab blew up and that I just, and he went flying out of there. I was just like, what? Like it, it was ridiculous, but it was still good. Like it was still it was like ridiculously good. good. That scene yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. It, not only is it on brand for Raimi, this is 1990. It's essentially a comic book movie, even though it's not an actual comic. Look at the other comic book movies around there. This is like exact same. There were there was nothing better going on. Right. I'm trying to think. The Phantom was around this time. Was that the one where the perp guy he was dressed in purple and? Yeah, 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 yeah. The Phantom was about this time. Right, right, right. This is before Blade. This is before comic movies book movies started getting done seriously. Yeah, I, yeah, it's cheesy. That's how they did comic movies back then. Be right. happy they got better. <laughs> so, mom, you we are in agreement. This is a good movie. Okay. I'm asking. Oh yeah, I thought. <laughs> like, mom, are we in agreement? Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a very good movie. Like, it, I enjoyed it. I did. I've watched some terrible movies since we started doing Innsmouth Rag, and I would watch this one again in in comparison to some of those terrible movies. So. Like yeah. I said, it's not going to win awards. No, no. It surprises me that we're fighting against audience complaints because this feels like a movie that that critics would have jumped all over. Right, and if I remember correctly, they did. Right. I, it's. I don't think they have the critics anymore that um that rated it, but or like the you know you know what I'm trying to say. I don't think they have that synopsis that that those critics gave out before. But um, I'm if I remember correctly, people thought it was pretty stupid. But and again. Comic movies did not get good press back then. They didn't think it was real. Which is funny when you look at it now. Haha. He's got the number one grossing movie in the world. It's a comic book. Right. <laughs> um, so are you ready for fun facts? Yes. Oh, and the very first one is about the casting. We Let's almost ended up with Bill Paxton and Julia Roberts as Darkman and Julie. I would have loved Bill Paxton as really? it. But, I mean, my I like thought Liam is Neeson, I no longer but... think the movie was badly cast because they would have been so much worse. You don't like Julia Roberts? I don't like her in this role. I don't think either one of them are good for this movie. Hmm. I see no one except for Bruce Campbell in that role. Yeah. Um. Next fun fact. Raimi originally wanted to base this movie on, a, on the comic book The Shadow, but he couldn't get the rights to the character, so he created Darkman. Mm-hmm. which originated from a short story he wrote that paid homage to the universal horror films of the 1930s, which further explains some of the effects. Also, the the fact that Darkman is essentially the shadow in Batman. Right. It's the same kind of feel. It's the same. He said, I'm going to make the movie whether you give me the name or not. 
Uh, next fun fact. Ivan Ramey and John Landis made cameo experiences in the film. They were doctors in the burn ward. I didn't catch... Even when I watched it the second time and I knew that, I couldn't catch it because they were wearing masks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, two of the doctors in the, the um, burn ward were John mm-hmm. Landis and Ivan Ramey. Nice. Uh, what a- but go ahead. I was gonna say what today. Uh, Sam Raimi wore a suit every day on set. Why? Uh, well, that, I'm gonna tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> Raimi has worn suits on set ever, um, ever since Evil Dead, as an right. homage to the great filmmaker and clothes horse Alfred Hitchcock. He, Hitchcock always dressed like that, so he always dresses like that on set. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Since the movie was made pre CGI, the dissolving masks that Peyton wears were controlled remotely by animatronic artists so that again we all the effects are practical even the ones like that which look like it was CG um as is typical in Raimi films Bruce Campbell does have a cameo and I had a note that you see it mom but we actually talked about it after so I know you saw him he's in the very last scene mm-hmm. and he's credited as final shimp <laughs> which is a reference to Ship Howard who was frequently doubled by look likes and three stooges projects after he died right so, and Raimi does this with all his films. If you look at the closing credits, there's always someone labeled in the credits as Shimp or Fake Shimp or Final Shimp. It's an ongoing thing. Um, this one was kind of weird. <clears throat> the editing process was extremely difficult. The editor allegedly had a nervous breakdown and left production. Oh my. Um, the Universal executives were also rather nervous with some of the wild things in the film and insisted they be taken out. Um, and this is where I was talking early. Sam Raimi confessed that the movie, the studio movie making, as opposed to independent filmmaking, didn't fulfill him in the same way. He did, however, <laughs> uh, attribute Universal's marketing campaign to the success of the movie in the box office. So he kind of like he's like, I don't really like working for you guys, but I appreciate all the money you made. And some ha- that that's all of the fun facts. We do have some housekeeping stuff to go over real quick. Next week, me and Jen are going to be participating in Good for Gaming's marathon, supporting the Trevor Project. Yeah. So we probably will not have a new episode. We definitely will not have a live episode next Sunday. I'm still hoping against hope that maybe, maybe, maybe we can get Mr. Wally Phelps down, tied down to do a recording so we can release Ghostbusters 2016 in that place. But do not fear if he is not available and there's no new episode to be had, I will release another one of our commentary tracks that we do for our awesome patrons. Speaking of which, um, I think I have this month's finally figured out that we're the last day of the month. And tomorrow, we're going to try and do Solo, the Star Wars Solo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Something we can really sink our teeth into and make fun of. And mm-hmm. my brother, Matt, will be joining us. Nice. For those of you who have not listened to every single episode from start to finish, my brother, Matt, is one of the inspirations for this show, as he is completely cynical and hates everything. <laughs> Which means he's probably never going to be a guest on the show itself right however however for commentary tracks where the idea is to make fun of the movie he is perfect (laughs) perfection yes so that should be really fun yeah so that's our show uh you guys if you like if you like us you like what you heard do us a favor and give it a rate and a subscribe be sure to also to follow us on the socials you can find us at jester court pod jester's court pod (laughs) <laughs> on Facebook, Twitter, and Insta. And I know Miss Insmith cannot remember her own social media stuff is not laughing at me. I'm totally laughing at you. 
I know. I'm sorry. You know what? I'm really pathetic because you had to remember all my shit for me. And that's, that's just, come on. Like do the thing, please husband. <laughs> all right. Speaking of Insmith, before we go, mom, anything going on with that? Yeah. So we are wrapping up next week um, with Insidious 4, right? And then the following week, we'll be doing our season finale, which is going to be Evil Dead. Um, and hopefully, maybe we can get somebody to come on and talk shit about it with us. I don't know. But, you know, that would be a lot of fun. And then um, after that, we're going to take a break. But, but, but a certain somebody who runs my social media... <laughs> reached out and uh oh i don't know who it is but they reached out and 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 we have some interest in maybe having a bonus episode where um the director of zombies comes on and talks to us zombies is a film that's going to be on the gulf coast here soon so writer director and star yes yes she's the main star in it um what's her name (laughs) hold on i gotta look it up i can I think I want to say Erica something, but I do no, not no, have it in front of me. No, that's I was not trying right to give all. you the, you know. Yeah, that's not right at all. Um, let's see. That would be Alicia Marie. Yeah. Alicia Marie. Who is a Gulf Coast. I don't think I don't think specifically she's Pensacola. A but she's a Gulf Coast native. Yeah, she's a Gulf Coast native and she's I, I she's a, a director and and writer and I can't wait to see her movie and I am so excited that um <laughs> It looks like we might be able to interview her. That is just like the tits. So I'm just, I'm just so excited. Yeah. It, from the trailer, it looks really cool. Yeah. For sure. It'll be on the Insmith podcast. Absolutely. And if you people have the nerve to say it sucks, we will pull it onto this podcast. I mean, well. we, what? So remember that one time we, or no, I was listening to open micers. Oh no, it was just on his social media. Jay said that he's gonna, he was going to try to watch one of the new Star Wars things. And if people started ragging on it, he was going to pull a, a, a Jay and Silent Bob where he just flew to everybody's house and just beat their ass. Oh, no, no. That was specific to the little kid. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Because okay. the little kid who played um, Anakin in the first, uh-huh. in episode one, was I know. tormented and like completely ran away because he was tormented. Right. So he was referring to the little kid in the new show. Yeah. Like if but... any of you guys go out there and make him feel like shit, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> he was like I'm just gonna pull a jay and silent bob and just just fly to everybody's house and just whoop your ass in the Which, front yard so yeah guys that's it um thank you all and um i think good good night bye <laughs>